ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks, whatever you want to call yourself, NLX2 Podcast is back at it. This week, it's been a fun one. It's been uh, North Dakota's getting hammered with COVID. Uh, Things are just getting weird. But one thing that I truly do enjoy is doing podcasts for one simple reason. I'm the dumbest person in the room every single time I do the podcast. And it's very cool to get the perspective of these crazy people that have done amazing things in this world. And this week is no exception. First off, though, the Iron Chapel, being one of our sponsors, has been a very great sponsor as I own the gym. And um, it's it's been a lot of fun. We learned a lot. We've done a lot of cool things in the community. And it's something that we truly love. And so strength and conditioning at its finest, ladies and gents, we look at a holistic approach to unlocking athletic potential, meaning we have individualized training geared towards reaching the next level for athletes. So my sole business is Next Level Training. I have a partner in the gym, and we combine that so that we can give the athletes the potential to reach their highest um, athletic feats and then general population to live a better life but move well. So check us out on Facebook um, or at Coach underscore Wartman on Instagram, Iron Chapel on Facebook. The next one, we talk about this all the time, sponsorship of Nutridine. Nutridine is something that I've been affiliated for multiple years now. It's the only supplement company that I will ever tell anybody to get. There's a few products from Onnit. There's a few products from Thorn, but there's hundreds of products that you know exactly what you're getting at the best price. But the testing is there. That's the most important thing. So medical supplement company aimed at addressing the underlying causes of disease and maximizing performance. Simply put, listeners of this podcast, there's a landing page on my Instagram. You click on that. You enter your email you get 20% off in a free medical supplement consultation from me. We go on there. We look at health history. We look at injury history. We look at family history. We look at your goal. We look at exactly everything we need. If we need to do a blood panel, we do. If we need to do um, some sort of DNA test, we do. We get you to where you need to be and then make a very simple list. I'm looking for the least amount of supplementation that you need, not I need. So that's what we do. 20% off Nutridine through my Instagram. Check it out. Click on the link and sign up. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, it's a very cool podcast because I have used this guy's product um, for multiple years before I even got to meet him. And then we will kind of talk about how we met. We met at the Power Athlete Symposium. And um, Hewitt Tomlin is the owner of Team Builder. If you don't know what Team Builder is, Team Builder is an online strength and conditioning company. I use them at the university with all my football players. I use it at the gym with all my people in the gym. And then I use it also as a remote training tool for people around the world. So it's th- this podcast was fun, man. We talked a ton of cool things and probably the coolest thing is obviously the evolution of team builder is very cool, but the coolest thing is the evolution of the online presence. So we look back 10 years ago and then we look 10 years from today, which will be 2030. 
And how is this going to look? How is our online presence going to look? Because 10 years ago, our online presence was a lot different than it is now. We rely on it a lot more than we do now. And so that's something that we really dive into. How has the online coach or even just the online business developed? How can we, how can we navigate these waters and what's it going to look like in 10 years? Hewitt is somebody that I look up to in that, in that sense. He, he dove in to a sector that wasn't even there at the time. Him and another another company, Train Heroic, um, True Coach, these people built this industry. And so it's it's pretty cool to uh, get to talk to somebody of that caliber and ha- that has made a product that has not only changed my life, but has changed every single athlete that gets to use it. Instead of me printing off Excel documents, I get to send them a beautiful app. And so we talk online presence. We talked the the up and comings of Team Builder. We talked about everything you can think of. And Hewitt is a freaking sharp dude, man. So without any further ado, we give you today on the NLX2 podcast, Hewitt Tomlin. Here we go. All right, ladies and gents, we are live for number 34. So NLX2 podcast 34, we're kind of starting to rack them up a little bit. Um, I gave a little bit of an intro about kind of what you do for people that are outside of the industry. Um, and I kind of gave them our, uh, how we kind of met. And so I just want you to kind of familiarize yourself with the audience, big audience of strength coaches, but a lot of business owners too. So, uh, kind of introduce yourself, my brother. Yeah, man. So look, we met at the power athlete symposium. That is an awesome, awesome event. And, you know, I've been a bunch of NSCA conferences and a bunch of these traditional strength and conditioning events. I'm not affiliated with Power Athlete HQ and Team Builder isn't either. Um, but I just love the, the vibe so much. I go as an attendee and you meet awesome people. And, and Kobe at the time, I think you were using Team Builder. We had just never met in person. Yep. So when we connected, I was like, sweet, man, this is what it's about. Yeah, dude. And I th- thought it was cool. I think that was actually one of the questions I asked you when I met you there. Like, Power Athlete has this strong um, acquaintance with Train Heroic. And uh, I, I saw you there and I didn't, I just didn't put two and two together. Um, and I was just kind of asked like, hey, are you, uh, are you here for, for business? Are you here to just kind of learn? And you're like, dude, I'm just here because this is a sweet event. Um, and they, they do a very good show. As of a few months ago, I actually became a block one coach too. So went through their whole block one. Um, just got murdered in that weekend, man. It's brutal. So those guys at Power Athlete are good stuff. Yeah, man. And look, I'm, I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to get petty about stuff. Uh, if it's, a, I, I like strength and conditioning. Uh-huh. Uh, team Builder's role is to support strength coaches no matter what. Not just our customers, but the industry. Yep. So when people put on sweet events uh, and, you know, there's something to be learned from it, I'm there, man. So I'll be, whenever everything is back to normal, and they're holding it again. I'll see you there again, man. Yes, sir, dude. So for people that didn't know, I man, I've used Team Builder in many different settings. I've used it uh, when I first got out of college. I was affiliated in an employee of a high school strength and conditioning company. So I had, I had gone to an NSCA state conference in North Dakota. And uh, a few of the strength coaches were pushing team builder. And I, uh, I had, I knew of train heroic and I asked one of the coaches straight up. I said, the funds are there. 
I'm going to do it. What is the deciding factor? Because he's used Train Heroic and T-Boulder. And um, he looked me dead in the eyes like, dude, at the end of the day, they're both going to provide a service. They're going to provide a product for you that is very similar. You're doing a lot of the same great stuff. But he said the one thing that uh, that has set it apart, and I've I've had this experience too, is the customer service. Um, that was the biggest thing. I will send you or Luke or usually the ones I work with. I'll send him. I'll send you guys an email, and within five to thirty minutes, I have a solution. And so, that's I. I mean, you could you could provide the same exact product and have that, and I'm going to go with the customer service any time of the week. And so, I used high school. And then I got, I broke off from that company, started my own gym. And I also got hired as a strength and conditioning coach at the college or at the university here. And so I use yeah. team builder for the university. And then I use team builder also for, um, our gym. And ironic, we actually have two team builder accounts here. Um, we have one for the college and then my clients and then the rest of the clientele here. And so people loved it, man. And, uh, People that don't know will get into kind of what we're talking about, but a think uh, traditional strength and conditioning, Excel document, print it off, take it to the gym, whatever you need. Um, it's, it's just not, it's not, uh, it's not optimal anymore. And so I used it in a lot of different settings and now we're here, finally got to meet you at the power athlete symposium. And so going from, going from there, like how have you guys, how have you guys, um, is that an emphasis? Is customer service a huge emphasis for you? Yeah, it is. So I actually learned it from my business partner, James. He's like our technical founder, computer programmer. He built Team Builder. And when we first started getting customers, James was answering support questions really thoroughly, really quickly at all hours of the day. Mm-hmm. And he kind of set the tone from the company from there where it was like customer service is not nine to five. Um, as soon as you get a chance, you're going to get back to someone. And what we found out really quickly was that it made people really happy if they sent a support request on a Sunday and we replied to them on a Sunday with the answer. Mm -hmm. Um, And making customers happy, if that's not half the battle, it's more than half the battle. Uh, That's how people start talking about your product and service. So there's a saying in our office that goes around where we go to the customer support people and we say, you see the sales folks over there, you would think the sales folks, the sales folks are responsible for bringing in the revenue, the money in this company, but it's actually you guys. Mm-hmm. Because when the customer service people do well, then the customers go tell other people about Team Builder, and we make way more business by word of mouth referrals than we do than than we do by paying for Facebook ads or or having salespeople cold call people. Um, if you rely on those two things, all you're doing is just running a rat race. But when your customers are telling other people about your product and service, that's like the the fountain of youth. It's going to just flow forever as long as you keep it up. Yeah, man. And I, I have that exact example. It was, it was the guy that had had experience in both products and he was, it was hard because he had used train heroic for a long time, used team builder for a long time, but all of his programming, all of his experience, everything was in train heroic. And he, he pretty much just said, I don't have the time right now to make the transition, but it's going to happen. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that set it apart and just that one statement and it makes a lot of sense. I'm just one person. This happens multiple times in multiple country or in multiple states. Um, that's exactly it. Your your customer service is where it's at, man. 
Yeah, well, look, I, I appreciate it. And uh, it takes focus and effort. You know, the, it can get very easy to get in a rut, giving the same responses to people and what's my password. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I have to get with the customer support folks and remind them how important the job is, even though they feel like it's a grind job. It's probably not too different from being a strength coach, doing the same cue, trying to get the same fundamental. But it's those fundamentals that grow the program, not you know, the, the stuff when you get someone four years down the line. Yeah. And you guys have actually done a pretty good job of streamlining that customer service as well, because, um, I I'm guessing, and, and this is just a good guess, but right off the bat, you had tons of people asking about your offset feature, you know, like you guys made videos say, Hey, check this out. This is what you need. And so you guys have done a really good job of streamlining the, the frequently asked questions uh, for me, at least. Yeah, I appreciate that. Look, I explainer videos. I do all the explainer videos here and I do them in my, my own style because I, I don't like the formal ones where someone's talking kind of slow or I kind of get on the, the videos. I'm like, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. This is how it works. And this is how you would use it. You know, I, I there's nothing much, there's not very anything formal about our processes. And I think that's an advantage for a startup is that you know, you want you want to see something done. Go ahead and do it the way that you envision it. No one's preventing you from doing it. So I like doing the support videos because I feel like, uh, you know, we can get you know some good instruction out there very quickly, as opposed to going through like a fancy production. Now it's not going to be the fanciest, right? There might be some videos of me in like a Metallica T-shirt at my desk at work, you know, yeah. on these support videos, yeah. but they'll get the job done. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. So pivoting outside a little bit of, of team builder, I didn't get to get this information from you when we, when we met in Austin, but, um, a lot of strength coaches or people that have an impact in the strength and conditioning world, a lot of the times, 90% of us started with athletics. Um, where did you, where did you even grow up and was athletics part of that picture? Yeah, I grew up in West Tennessee. So in the South football is king. Mm -hmm. Um, and SEC is bigger than NFL. And, um, man, I played football and, um, uh, my dad was just obsessed with it. You know, my coach, it was like in high school, football was King and retrospect is kind of messed up because like football was on a pedestal way more than other sports and they it really shouldn't be that way, but it's it just what it was in, you know, the early two thousands in the South and, and probably for many decades before that, and probably the same way in a lot of places. Right. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Not to mention Texas. Exactly. So, exactly, man. Right. So, so football, football was the only sport at that time for you. I I grew up playing multiple sports, loved a lot of sports, uh, really loved baseball, like throwing things, any sport where you throw stuff. I played quarterback. And um, after my freshman year of high school, my dad kind of sat me down. He was like, hey, man, um, not this nicely, but he was like, hey, man you know, it's, it's probably obvious by now you're not like the best athlete. You're, I don't know if you're going to be able to play multiple sports and also pursue your dream of playing college football. I think it's time to just play football and kind of treat it like a year round thing. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like 14 or 15. So about the time where it's socially acceptable to specialize, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, I don't know what your opinion is, but I think that's probably okay. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's like, I, I, that's not part of the discussion. Anyway, I really focused on on playing quarterback from then on. And uh, the goal was very clear with my dad. Um, you're one of five kids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, your parents are not paying for college. Yep. So you got to play football to get into college or do ROTC. And um, as badass as the, you know, Army recruiter videos where 
I wanted to play football more than I wanted to do ROTC. <laughs> yep, exactly. I get you, man. Yeah. Did you end up playing college sports, college football? Yeah, I ended up playing. And I ended up playing D3. Okay. And um, again, football is king in the South. D1 is it. Like, did you get a D1 offer? That was like the question. You wanted to get in the paper with some sort of signing day or D1 or whatever. And I just wasn't D1, man. Um, I, you know, was kind of asked to walk on, but not really. So I, I basically was approached by a lot of Division three schools, really good academic schools. Mm -hmm. And credit to my dad. I think my dad did me a big favor freshman year telling me to really focus on a sport. He did me a big favor my senior year uh, when he said that, look, um, forget about D1. After school, you're going to have a degree that is going to mean a lot more and try to go to a really good school. And I was getting uh, inquiries from these great schools that I never heard of, Williams, Amherst, Middlebury. These are all liberal arts D3 colleges, mostly in the Northeast, and I just didn't have an interest in that. But then, you know, Johns Hopkins was a school that had a name that you would recognize. It was in Baltimore. I wanted to be in a city because I grew up in little West Tennessee. I wanted to experience a city. Yeah. And uh, finally, the big difference maker was I, I could tell the coaches really wanted me to be there. They really wanted me to be there. And the combination of going to a good academic school, the prospect of getting some playing time in D3, and uh, the fact that the coaches wanted me, I think it can kind of seal the deal. For sure, man. I, I played at a NAI school, so pretty pretty similar still yeah. on the scholarship model, though. Yeah. And uh, that's the cool thing, man. I, I've talked about it in multiple podcasts, talked about it with my coaching staff. I, I, I played four years, started all four years an outside linebacker, and those coaches were, were family. And you go to the classrooms and it's, it's small town classrooms. So you have at the most, my biggest class ever was like 35 people. And so yeah. you have this very small atmosphere where you have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with a coach, a parent, a teacher, um, anybody. And so it was very small, very tight knit, but the culture of football is winning. We've won five or no, this, this year, we just won our sixth conference championship in a row. And, wow. um, so we're going hopefully to the playoffs soon, but what I found is that small community, I came from an even smaller city. So I had about 4,000 people came to one that has anywhere from 25 to 30,000. And that was, that was a little bit bigger city, but that community has fostered my gym. It's fostered my podcast. It's fostered me getting hired back into the university now as a coach wow. and dude, it's a cool community, man. It's, it's something that. It, it started off at that five to 9,000 oil hit spiked up quite a bit, but now it's, it's obviously still there and it's regulating, but there's a tight knit of people here that have been here from the start and they just like people that want to do good outside of oil for the city. And so it's been, it's been very cool. I don't know it, when I was getting recruited, I had university of Wyoming cause I was originally from Wyoming. And so they, as people know, um, it's either full ride or nothing. And so I yeah. got, I got a preferred walk on is what they call it. And so I could have gone on there, tried out, been a tackling dummy for two to three years and then possibly played. And so coming to Dickinson state, I got a full ride. Um, I started every single game of all four years and it's built what's here now. So I, I advocate for those NAI D2, D3s. Um, almost more than I do D ones for an extent, obviously if you have the talent, go do it. But, um, yeah. I really, really like it. You look at some of the big time strength coaches, Ron McKeefree, he played at NIA school. 
you know, and these people yep. that uh, have continually found success at that level. Absolutely. Look, two things. You played a lot of football. I played a lot of football. It's, it's a lot more fun to play a couple dozen college football games than be a tackling dummy at a big D1 school and get the sweet gear. You know, I'm generalizing, but let's be real. The second thing is, how important is a winning culture? Um, in Division Three in NAIA, NAIA, if you're in the bottom of the totem pole, you can be on some really mediocre programs, and that's not fun, man. No. It's not fun going one and nine. It's fun to win, even at Division Three. And it sounds like you got it. We definitely got it, you know, at, at, at my program. That makes a big difference to, to go to a winning program. Mm-hmm. And it was John Hopkins that you went to? Yeah, Johns Hopkins is where I, is where I went. And they were historically a, a successful program, but kind of slumping by the time I got there. I got lucky. My incoming class really did a good job at changing the culture, along with some new coaches that came in at the same time my class came in. I think I finished with uh, – uh, single-digit loss record after four years. Oh, wow. Awesome, man. And th- a little bit of impromptu, too, but what – and this is a, v- a multifactorial question, and it can be in different assets of the game. What are your top things of what builds a winning culture? Well, I think about one coach in particular. He actually came in as the quarterback's coach and then offensive coordinator – and he set the standard um, for the little things, the little things which at Division Three probably mimicked a more serious program, yeah. not being late to meetings, not being late to your film meeting, paying attention during your film meeting, um, workouts. They're not mandatory at D3, but they did about everything that they legally could to put the pressure on the athletes to take the workout seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then practice. Um, just really meticulous, like detailed practice plans that the coaches stuck to. Um, that was a big thing. Now, here is like another component of it. We were a young class taking football very seriously. And you had older guys who were supposed to be the leaders. And not everyone in that class. It's hard to change the culture when the seniors didn't do three years of that culture prior. I think that creates conflict. When the older guys, I remember being a freshman and sitting in a fraternity house and I was like, you know, t- talking as if like football was very important, which it was. And I think a senior was like, hey, man, you're just kind of jaded. You know, like it's just Division three football, man. It, it kind of doesn't matter. And that was like the conflict, right? It mm-hmm. was like a senior kind of telling a, a freshman to kind of chill out a little bit. But as long as the freshman class and we did it, you know, it didn't allow that to seep into it. Then it, it takes some time for us, not overnight, but it kind of takes some people leaving and some younger people getting older to kind of transition the culture. Man, for sure. And that, and then that's the hard thing I see with Division One. Like, we see that culture could take, let's just give a very even conservative number, it could take four years to get your guys in the system and push through to have them as the senior leadership. And we see in Division One, it's such a fickle, it's such a – it's such a volatile um, industry that if it's not working in the first yeah. one to three years, we're going to find somebody else. And so it's, yeah. it's so hard, man. And maybe that's why our, my university has been so blessed. They, the coach prior was the most winningest coach from D1 down to Division Three, NAI, whatever it is. And he was there for 42 years. And so then our other coach took over who had been assistant coach for almost 15 years there. And so 
I, I think it's multifactorial that it starts with the coaches and then it, it seeps down into in something that I've found success in, but I still struggle and I want to get better at it is instilling the responsibility in the players. The responsibility was yours when you told that that senior like, no, dude, this is this means a lot to this community. You know, uh, we're not going to be on ESPN, but it's this community and the people that donate. And so I think trickling down responsibility to the athletes. And so like in the in the community of just the university weight room with just the football guys, I tell these people that, hey, I'm going to cue you up. I'm going to show you what I want. And I'm a very uh, I stick very closely to a power athlete methodology, toast forward mentality, just attack the day. And so I'm going to cue you up. You're going to, you're going to have these cues from me, but then I expect you to take the workload off of me. And I expect you to start cueing your guys and the red shirt group that comes up. I expect them to be toes forward without me telling them they should know that that's a staple. And so that, that trickles over into the football side. And I think you hit it on the, uh, hit it on the head. That's been our biggest thing is you are on time for meetings or you're not there. You know, you, it's, it's something that you need to just show up and do what's right. And so that's, that's kind of something that we found that has catapulted us above other teams, because as you said, some people don't take it as seriously if it's not D one, which is sad. It's yeah. very sad. Yeah. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't really, it, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say it, it. One thing to think about too, is that um, striving for ec- excellence takes an active effort while people who who bring the opposite to the culture is a passive effort. It's a very passive to say, it's not that serious. Yeah. I can be a little bit late. Um, it's, it's very, very easy to sap the energy out of a, a winning culture, but it takes active focus and effort to keep striving for excellence. So it's an uphill battle and it takes the more people you can kind of get on board working towards that standard. You know, that's what, that's what kind of tips the scales. And that's sometimes is what takes time for sure. getting enough of those people in that boat. For sure, man. And I didn't realize this is kind of, it's still with the topic a little bit, but I could have gone to University of Wyoming and played with no scholarship, taken out student loans, all this stuff. I didn't realize how big of a blessing it was to have a full ride scholarship until you graduate. And then you're, then you're kind of looking like I'm, I'm free. I can open a gym if I want to, I could, I could do these things. And so it was a huge blessing to be able to graduate with zero debt. You know, like, and I hope people can hold on to that, that when I was that age, I was looking till the next football game or the next party or the next whatever, not looking at, Hey, I can, I can graduate with no debt and do whatever I want afterwards. And so if I had any, any opinion or belief that I could instill in somebody is go where you're going to play and go where the money is, because that's going to set you up for life, you know? And, and with D3, most people know is it's, it's all academic scholarships, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And financial aid, financial aid. So oh, okay. I, I had a mixture of financial aid and academic that kind of, com, you know, comprised my tuition. There's no a scholarship per se. Uh, but, you know, look, like I said, my parents weren't paying either way. So I had to scrap up money from any place I can get it. Exactly, man. That's we we uh, we have a parallel with that. <laughs> parents like you better get better at college f- or at football or you're not going to college. <laughs> hey, I remember coming back on like winter break one time and my my tuition was covered up until like maybe one or two grand per year, like not very much. And I was at my dad's friend's house and his all his friends were over there. 
And they were like, hey, man, I heard your, your college paid for. Like, good job. And that one guy was like, hey, you know, you can still join ROTC to get that one or 2000 taken care of each year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a grind, dude. It's a grind, man. Yeah. Yeah. So when what were what was the focus educationally there then for you? I ended up actually being a public health major. Oh, really? uh, yeah. Very relevant this year. You yeah. Could say. No kidding, man. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm an advocate for gap years between high school and college because mm-hmm. um, I was a pretty well studied student. But in retrospect, I think it's pretty silly to ask 18 year olds to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. I think it's one of the biggest fallacies of the American educa- higher education system is that we hustle kids out of high school and into the college institutions. Um, I think there's so many opportunities for working or just experiencing things um, at that very you know malleable age. So my major, I don't give my major in public health a lot of credit um, for like my conscious decision making. The way I basically arrived at it at Colby was uh, Hopkins had a really good public health program. It was world renowned. I kind of chose it by default because I saw it as an opportunity. You know, this is a highly valued uh, and well-regarded subject. So I'll, I'll study this for college. Um, but if I had to do it over, um, I, I would have given my, afforded myself more opportunity to really understand like what I was passionate for, you know? Yeah. And man, I had a podcast with a buddy that I'm a part of a investing team that we, uh, that we're a part of. And he, he looked at it as, um, college is this experience. Just look at it as this overall experience. And he looked at it and he said he was sad that him not going to a four-year college, four-year degree or university, that he didn't get that experience of meeting the people that he had for the rest of his life, meeting these professors, getting his roots down in a community, doing all this stuff. And he ended up making this very successful investing firm and, uh, that we're a part of, but he looked at it as that experience. That's what he lost. And then I look at the whole other opposite side of the spectrum. My wife's a um, labor and delivery nurse. And so if you really are set on a hundred percent, you need to go because you want to be in the medical field or even education. And you a hundred percent know that that's what your heart is wanting you to do. By all means, college is your best option. It's your only option. And, um, but then you bring up a good point that, maybe wait a few years. And one, one thing that I've said on a podcast prior is truly ask yourself what you want to do. Very simply put, I know it's a lot easier said than done, but ask yourself what you want to do. Seek somebody out that has found success doing that and offer your time, offer, offer an ear, say, man, I just want to be a sponge and go find out if that's truly what it is. And that's a great gap time. Take one to three years, go, go um, internship or go just volunteer with somebody that you find interesting and then go from there. And if that route leads you to university, by all means, you're going to have the best part of your life. But if it doesn't, then why, why put ourselves in this, in this hole where student debt, as you know, is one of the only um, types of debt that will garnish 401k and retirement and you can't get out of it. And so, um, don't dig yourself a hole right off the bat. I, I, I love that you brought up gap years, man, because you can, uh, you can afford yourself some, some regret and, uh, some money if you just slow down a yeah. little bit. You can. And you know, when I say gap year, I mean, take a year off and volunteer or work, you know, um, go see a different country. 
Um, I, I don't know, but uh, just give give kids some time to grow up. I mean, I know there are kids at 18 who know they're going to be whatever it is. There's a lot of kids who aren't. Um, slow down. I mean, like the, the the way the system's set up is that like if you graduate high school, you don't go straight to college. You're lagging. You're lagging your peers and your classmates. Dude, bullshit. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Um, I'm especially interested in in you know some of these like old European models, like the German apprenticeship model. By the way, if you do an apprenticeship, you get paid to do it. You get paid to learn, but you have to commit your time to doing it. Yep. Um, it's not a it's not a quick route to wealth, but it's it's definitely a route to learning a, a very valuable skill and getting paid to do it. So I think at some at some point, you know, America needs this stuff. I mean, um, hands on trades, skilled trades. Um, th- this is stuff that we need to elevate that kind of work. And academic academia need, has its place. But we can't put academia at a pedestal above other types of trades like we have been, like I've seen in the last couple of decades. Yeah, man. I and I hope I hope I'm wrong, but it looks like this never-ending cycle. And um, it, because university, I I uh, I'm a few months away from getting my master's fully paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, which is I, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't like that. But talked about um, capitalism and how how the universities mirror that model and everybody, if you could just look at universities as a business, it's going to make a lot more things clear for you. They need to meet their bottom line. They need to have the retention. They need to um, get these new students in there. So no wonder there's this, this huge rush on you, you know? And so just look at them as a, as a business, they're going to give you an end goal or an end product, but you have to look at is that the only way to get to the end goal? In the medical field, it is. In other things, it's not. If you're looking at business, I, I, I do not recommend just going to get your MBA right off the bat. I think you need to just go do um, a gap year. As you just said, I think, that's, I think that's the route. My little sister's getting into that age where she has a few years before she goes, and uh, she's going to a trade school, which I couldn't even be happier, man. That's awesome. Yeah, That's man. really cool. And we risk going down a tangent talking about the, the university system. So we, we can move on from it if you want. But, <laughs> you know, the, the, talking about the customer service model, when you run a for-profit university, you're running a customer service model to students and parents to pay the bills. And in a way, you know, what we, what we sometimes see is like these crazy dynamics on campus. They're almost a product of their own systems. If you start taking the students and making the student experience the most important thing above everything else on a campus, that's how you start to see things like campus liberalism. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make this political. I'll go ahead and t- tell everyone here, like I'm, I'm a progressive, but campus liberalism, liberalism, it's not a mystery. We see some crazy stuff go on on college campuses. Yes, we do. And like I said, if the college starts saying that student tuition money is more important than anything else, you're going to see the, the prisoners run, the, the inmates run the prison. You know what I mean? Yep. No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more, man. And even if we we align politically or don't align politically, that's a very true statement. And I think that it needs to be revamped and it needs to, And but I don't have the answer. I don't know where to start, you know, and I don't right. think a lot of people right. do. Um, but one thing that you could look at is holding these trades at a higher, at a, on the pedestal instead of holding, right. being a lawyer or doing whatever, because you can do so much more without just going the A track. And so staying in that rut, yeah. um, in that, uh, so like going from there, you, you started team builder and, um, mm-hmm. when I, I, I kind of envision this, just, uh, just kind of throwing it in my head, I envision, 
I, I envis- envision you in this basement trying to get this thing going and trying to push this product and start from ground zero. And so I kind of want to hear from ground zero. And was there any earlier ventures before Team Builder? Yeah, so so you're kind of right. I did build Team Builder from a basement. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, James and I li- <laughs> yeah, James and I lived in a basement together of a house. Eventually, he moved upstairs. <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, so out of college, I really couldn't get a job, like a salary job. Um, I worked at a car dealership. Um, it was awful. Uh, like talk about a toxic work environment. You know, I think everyone should, again, have a job that they hate to kind of motivate them to move into a job that they don't hate. Work at a car dealership. It kind of yeah. helps do that. So I worked at a car dealership and uh, Team Builder was was a slow grind, man. James and I had to build this thing. We had to sell it. We had to to work a long time before it paid any bills of ours. So from working at a car dealership, I actually got a, you know, like a salary quote unquote real job um, at a small tech tech startup. We built software for facilities managers, you know, these office buildings that um, they had a facilities manager kind of making sure where everything was and where everyone sat in these big office buildings. We had software for them, really boring stuff, but really good learning experience. Yeah. And then I went on and worked for another uh, tech startup and I was basically learning at my day job, going home on nights and weekends and taking what I learned and applying it to Team Builder. So Team Builder was basically a product of what I was learning at my day job. And I did that for about three years until I was you know, 24, 25. And then um, Team Builder was making enough money to where I wasn't going to equal my salary at my day job, but I made enough to, to live off some rice and beans and, and kind of eke it out. Yep. So I mean, I quit. I quit that job. I didn't hate it or anything. I was just like, you know, I got my thing. I got my thing going on. So I pieced out and uh, I I pay myself like a salary of 30000 a year, you know, before taxes. So just enough to, to have some walking around money, a little grocery money, you know, maybe yep. going to date night or whatever. And uh, but adding a full time effort um, to the company was like adding gasoline to it. And I made enough money to get my partner, James, to quit his job. And then we added then we had another full time body. And then that was 2x the manpower that it ever had before. And then that's what allowed it to kind of really take off. Amazing, man. That's cool. That's I'm glad I, my my vision was correct. I just kind of had this. Yeah. You, you hear about you a lot of these. Off. Yeah, dude. You hear about a lot of these tech startups that uh, it's it's kind of amazing deal. I mean, I, I myself worked at a used car dealership, um, just <laughs> hustling cars, man, like people coming in no credit, the worst credit you ever seen. We're going to get you a car no matter what, you know, you're going to drive off this lot in one of our cars. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, like you said, you, you, you do these jobs that you hate just to catapult yourself. It taught me, Mm -hmm. it taught me multiple things that I'll take, um, through the door. And if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at one thing, it's in a, in a sales position or a, um, you're trying to push a product or service just relate to the customer, relate to the people. And 99% of everything else is going to take, is going to take its course. You know, if you're, if you, if on the back end you're providing a service and a product that is going to bring value to that person and you can relate to them and some communicate somehow communicate that to them, the rest is going to take care of itself. And so that's something that I actually took from the car dealership, you know, like I hated it. They they're like, Hey, you just come in whenever you want. If you answer that phone first, it's your sale. And it's like, geez, man, it's, it's very cutthroat and it's very different. 
but everything teaches us something, you know? Yeah. These are the, um, these are some experiences that you're describing that, you know, if you take a predetermined route, you're going to lose out on them. It's not the make or break, but I think everyone in our society could like benefit from working at a used car dealership from waiting some tables from, you know, um, to, to babysit three kids at a time. Like these are real life situations that everyone's going through. Uh, I think it just adds some perspectives, you know, everyone should wait tables. For sure, dude. I, uh, my thing before college was I worked road construction for three years during high school. Wow. And man, that'll, that'll make you want to go to college quick. Cause those guys, (laughs) you look at these guys ahead of you that are 40 and 50 years old and broken. Um, they, they've paid their bills. They make decent money, but it's capped off, you know? And so they, they propelled me to go do college more than anything else. Um, yeah. Hey, Kobe, one, one second here. You're I'm good. Sorry. You're golden, dude. You're golden. Customer service. I'm in this conference room in the shared workspace. I think someone was like checking in on. Oh, you're golden, man. You're golden. Um, I'm in a co-working space. Yep. So early on, uh, getting this thing off the ground, I I find that a cool perspective that as soon as you quit your day job, you saw this, this huge growth. And then as soon as your partner quit the day job, you saw this huge growth. I was listening to a few podcasts with, uh, with Ben Crookston and talking about, uh, for people that don't know, he's one of the owners of train heroic and, uh, yeah, what, I know Ben. I like Ben a lot. Yeah, man, he's a good dude. He's a very uh, intellectual guy, and it's it's, yeah, it's he he's is. he's a very cool dude. Um, besides that, early on, what were some of these? What were some of the? I don't even want to call them failures. Let's call them curveballs. What were some of the things that you had to overcome early, early on? I think culturally, a lot of the positions in strength and conditioning were occupied by older practitioners, guys that had built their systems up that took a lot of pride in their Excel systems and their paper-based systems. And try being a 23-year-old kid and trying to talk to coaches in his 40s to switch from their their lifelong career Excel system to the software that you whipped up in two years. Um, that's a challenge. Yeah. It, that doesn't, people don't, don't, you know, they don't hop on Team Builder overnight. It takes a consistent effort. And then you start seeing things like your situation, Colby, younger guys, more open-minded guys, they're used to software. And then the light in the tunnel starts getting a little bit bigger. So that was a grind. I mean, there were many times where James and I were like, is this even worth building? A software for strength and conditioning? Is this even a thing? Is this a market? Is this a company? There's often times there's a lot, a lot of evidence to say, no, it's not. Um, but you know, one thing that got us through that was that we truly enjoyed what we were doing. You know, we're not building team builder to, to, to get rich. Um, if you do that, you'll probably quit really quick and find the next thing to see what yeah. does work. Um, two, three years, we enjoyed working with each other. That's important. And we felt like it was our project. And we kind of believed that eventually this would be something that would work. Um, so thinking about some other challenges, hiring people is challenging. Um, yeah. If you're an entrepreneur and you're a type A, you know, GI Joe, uh, wake up in the morning and hustle kind of person, then you're going to tend to get some stuff done. As soon as you start relying on other people, then, um, you know, that's a different kind of style of, of uh, running a company. And um, your expectations to them, you kind of have to tamper them down. When you hire someone, they're not an equity owner in the company. They're not going to have the same mentality that you are if you expect them to 
it's almost unfair. I mean, if you can find someone like that, it's great. So learning how to hire and manage people for someone who's never done it before, it's a challenge. It's yeah. definitely a challenge. Yeah, we're we're right at that uh, that turning point too. We just had to hire a few trainers, hire a few people because we we kind of had a uh, a meeting with uh, myself and the investor, and we talked about how COVID is 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 really changing this industry, and uh, we're we pretty much said we're going to be fifteen to twenty percent less busy, or we're going to be fifteen to twenty percent more busy, and luckily we were on the other end of that spectrum, but. I was I was kind of brainstorming and thinking about this, and I found it very interesting that you and your partner, um, at the time of conception of the Team Builder software, there wasn't a market for what you guys were doing. And um, I maybe the timeline I don't know the exact timeline of Train Heroic and True Coach. Who I mean, you guys, you three really hold that market share of the industry, and. Um, I don't know the timeline exactly, but that it wasn't there. You guys created that. Um, and I think just that in itself is a pretty cool feat. And then just growing the company from there, hiring, marketing, um, retention, all that is, it, it plays into it. But I just found that was that a huge challenge right off the bat, just actually building awareness that this was something that people needed. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And look, timing, there are successful people in life and they'll tell you timing has a lot to do with it. Um, case in point, there were guys who went to John Tompkins before James and I, who had this idea of basically digitalizing the Excel system of a strength coach, but they did it before cloud computing. They did it before the smartphone. They were too early. If they were just born five years later, they probably would have hit the nail on the head like James and I did. Wow. So, there are some things that are just not in your control and the timing of train heroic and true coach and team builder. That's just our timing. There's going to be some young guys out of college, younger than us who are learning new computer languages that have different skill sets, who have work ethics and curiosity. That's just as high as ours. And they're going to build a new shit. It's, it's not a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of when it happens because that's how the world works. You know, yeah, dude, it's, it's exactly how it goes. It's that, I mean, that's what you guys did to the generation ahead of you. And um, so team builder, obviously uh, simplistic and look um, the name of it. How did you guys get to, how did you guys get to the name of team builder? Oh my gosh. We have the most boring name origination story, (laughs) but I've got some more, but I've got other fun stories to make up for. Let's go dude. (laughs) So name James and I were trading over the summer. This is how we came up with the idea for Team Builder. We had our paper packet. And we're like, paper packet sucks. We have smartphones now, but this needs to be a software. That's how we came up with the idea. So what's it going to be called? I don't know. James was like, I thought of the name Team Builder. And we we're like, that's good enough for now. We'll think of a cooler name later. <laughs> and we, and Team Builder became a placeholder for so long that we never changed the name. Mm-hmm. So that's the brand origination story. But our first logo was awful. And um, what was really kind of popular back then was these like logo contests where you can get online and put up a bid. So we put up a bid for 50 bucks and we basically put the concept out for a logo, $50. And what happens is all these graphic designers from around the world start submitting their designs for your company logo and you award the bids, the logo that you like the best. So 
we did that. And then this graphic designer from India built us this logo. Wow. And orig original team builder customers call it the ghost, the ghost lifter because it's a ghost holding up. It's like a little ghost figure holding up a barbell. <laughs> I can send it to you. <laughs> so if you meet someone who used team builder like six years ago, they'll be like, oh, yeah, the ghost lifter. That's classic. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I, then we obviously rebranded since then. Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to find it pre um, us hopping on and I couldn't find it. I think it was part of either your Instagram story or Team Builder's Instagram story. But I found that uh, where it started and where it is today yeah. image was badass, dude. Yeah. That was cool. Like it's you can see your guys' brains turning. You can see where you wanted to get, but it was just very simplistic on where it started. That was cool, man. Yeah, the original concept was like Windows 98 yes. square start button style software. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of companies, software companies don't live long enough to see their 10th iteration like we have. But when you look at the first iteration of the 10th, it's pretty fun to do. Dude, it's way cool. And it shows, it just shows how much further down the road you guys have got, which is cool. And uh, it gets me excited about what's down the road a couple of years from now, too. For sure, man. And like if we would have thought 10 years ago, what is today going to look like uh, in strength and conditioning? I in my head, obviously, I wasn't I, I wasn't a part of Team Builder. I wouldn't even imagine that, you know, and it's really cool that we have that tool and we're able to get to that spot. But, you know, like and we'll get into this later. But what does 10 years look like? You know, and I. I find it scary that a lot of these, these tonal or the mirror or all this stuff is like taking over and me as a principle based strength coach really find that all the principles that got us to where we are, the shoulders of the giants, the Vergashanskis, your Louis Simmons, all this stuff is completely gone. But people, power athlete talks about it. People are getting into fitness for an end goal. They're not getting into it for the journey or the, the knowledge. If it's an end goal, the tonal is going to do it. The Peloton's going to do it, you know? And so that, that's very interesting that you guys were able to get where you guys are today. And then just seeing this growth, what, what, uh, obviously hiring employees, I'm struggling with that right now. And, uh, I think a lot of people do, but outside of that, what were some of the, what were some of the scaling issues you guys had to deal with there? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get scaling issues, but I just want to talk about tonal and Peloton and, and all these things. Let's because, go. Um, Let's do it. Because I, I have opinions, man. It's, I got to, I got to let my opinions out of their box. I want to hear it. <laughs> you know, like the, the commercials for fitness in the eighties and nineties was like looking good. I mean, like just the, the best looking people and like, this is the body you want to achieve. And come on, it's not realistic. But the, the Peloton and the mirror and, and what they're selling today, they're selling the lifestyle. You know, they're, they're not selling like the outright physique and the, and the physical results, but they're, they're selling you, they're still selling you a concept that's like not very tangible, the lifestyle of having you know, the perfect home gym set up. Mm -hmm. The Peloton, don't even worry about the gym. You can do it at home. It's, a, it's the fundamentals, the principles that you're talking about. They're as old as day. They're just not as marketable as the physique from the 80s as the lifestyle, the Peloton lifestyle of 2020. Yeah. So that that's my thing. I think it's just kind of fitness marketing repackaged a little bit. Um, and I, I'm not saying I'm the fittest person in the world, but you know, I work in the fitness industry and sometimes people will be like, what do you think about Peloton? What do you think about Mirror? Like, I don't own any of that stuff, man. Mm -hmm. I've got a barbell, I got some bumper plates. 
I've got some power blocks. I love my power blocks. Yes, I've sir. got some bands. And guess what? I've got the outdoors, and that's enough to do some pretty good damage when it yeah. comes to fitness. 100%. Because there's some, there's, some, there's some principles out there, and if you know what they are and you're committed to them, you're going to get the results you want in terms yeah. of health and fitness. And people that are maybe business owners, the stuff we're talking about, like overload, reversibility, accommodation, um, the said principle, um, accelerated adaptation, all these things, compensatory acceleration that you can't get on a Peloton. And I, I tell people that, and they kind of look at me crazy. And if what I tell people, Peloton's taken over the world, man. And what I tell people is if you can get your strength training, you can get all that stuff, and it doesn't have to be in my gym. Go buy a barbell and seven kettlebells, and you're going to be fine. And I tell them, if you can put that in the equation but not have it as the whole equation, Peloton is going to do some great things for you. But if it's just Peloton, I, I imagine, <laughs> I just imagine this is like the skinny fat kids, you know, like you're going to ride Peloton till you die, but you're never going to get to that end goal of, I want to be sculpted or I want to be muscular. That's not going to do it. And so I love what they've done. And it's, it's kind of a case study that you need to look at because they revolutionized into that home gym and COVID has pushed a lot of that. And, um, just brick and mortar anything is really going to have to revamp. And that's something that we've obviously thought about here too. It's, it's something that we down the road, we need to look at. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely enjoyed watching fitness trends and I don't get too heated about it. You're never going to see me on Twitter going nuts about Peloton or exactly. you know, Tybo uh, videotapes from the nineties. I, I just don't care that much. Um, but I think it's interesting to recognize trends and, you know, F45 is this big thing that I, I love to just kind of analyze. Are you familiar with F45, this kind of hit class? Yep. yep. Um, so I, I think what's fun about F45 is that at the end of the day, they're going to help you manage a caloric deficit. You know, you burn a lot of calories in a short amount of time. And it's really popular because people are doing strength training movements. They've got kettlebells. They're light and they're plastic encased. They have barbells. They're not Olympic barbells, you know, like the Les Mills barbells. Mm -hmm. But people are pushing sleds 10 yards at a time. They're, you know, doing deadlifts, very, really lightweight. They're mimicking strength training movements because that, that's, people like those. You know, people feel good doing them. It's like empowering. And they're doing it in like a hit scenario. So I can tell that people are gravitating towards strength training, um, you know, real strength training. And, and you, you see that in some of the fitness trends. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. I, it's going to be interesting again, that gets us back to our question, what it's going to look like in 10 years. And so I've, yeah. I've been on the front of how COVID has impacted brick and mortar. Um, and then honestly, like pushing further towards that remote and that virtual presence. And, um, but yeah. how has, and I think it's, it's obviously not non-existent or minimal, but how has, what are some of the things that have impacted team builder with the COVID era? Obviously, a lot of people are reaching out to us um, for remote training. You know, it, it, I think it's pretty obvious that if you can put someone's program on a smartphone app, you might have a better chance of holding them accountable or incentivizing them to, to do their home workout, you know, at home. So we've seen a lot of that. Um, but at the same time, um, it's, it's not going to solve their problem. I put myself in my customer's shoes. And I feel some situations where some people are probably better off using PDF and Excel sheets to train people remotely, just depending on what kind of programs you're writing, how many clients you're actually training, and you know what kind of response are you looking to elicit from your clients. 
Um, so on the net, it's been good for our business, but it also comes with its own challenges. Uh, people are obviously going to have their own idea of what remote training looks like, and they're going to want to innovate on that, right? Some really smart strength coaches are out there that now have their attention set to remote training, and they're going to have some opinions to share with you, and they have some good opinions. Yep. So that's that's the challenge for us is, hey, you know, we got to adapt. We can't just say, oh, the solution's built. Come and use it. It's, you know, we have a solution that's working now, but we have to keep working on it to make it fit what now has a lot of people, uh, you know, paying attention to it, remote training. Yeah, man. Outside of your your uh, brainchild that you have grown in Team Builder, how how is Hugh, how, if you looked at day one till today, what are some of the what are some of the qualities that had that have had to had to change in you to be find the success that you have had? Hiring people and managing people. Yeah, it's it's one thing when I've done everyone's job and then I hire someone to come do the job that I did. That's pretty easy, right? Um, it's another thing when you're both in the same boat and trying to expand a role and expand the company. So I'm at the point now where everyone at, at Team Builder who's employed by Team Builder is expanding the role uh, into territory that I've, I've never done the stuff myself. So I'm kind of learning with them. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's challenging. Um, and, you know, I'm one of the oldest people at my company. I'm 30. I have a lot of 20-somethings around here. And they're great. And, and it's awesome. But, you know, we got, we got to challenge some young people here to push their roles, to find innovative ways to do the things that we want to do, generate more leads, build better products, uh, retain customers for longer. So that's been interesting as uh, now we're in like expansion kind of innovation mode. And I'm, I'm in there as the person's manager. So I have to manage my expectations of, of the people who work here. Yeah, man. During COVID, obviously, I, I think I know this answer, but have have you guys actually grown in this period of time due to the fact of pushing this remote online presence that's changed from when you guys started till now? Yes. Yeah. We've grown on net. We've seen some customer customer renewal increase a little bit as well because schools and colleges are not immune mm-hmm. to um, you know the economic effects of COVID. Private facilities and gyms are not immune to the effects of COVID. And not all you know, brick and mortar businesses are going to transition seamlessly into online training. Uh, a lot are, a lot aren't. So the business has grown. Uh, we've also seen a lot of clients impacted from it. Um, but on the net, it's been a positive for us. Um, but and, and and we're very grateful for that. There's a lot of businesses, have a lot of friends who who run businesses that are you know impacted uh, in a negative way because of COVID. So you need to keep that in perspective. Yes, definitely. Looking at, and this is maybe a selfish question for myself too, you guys have had some very big names and some very big, let, let's just break it into the three separate, your private companies, your, um, your, and your schools, and then your professional teams that you guys really yeah. make up the bulk of what you guys do. If you're looking at the private industries um, and people that have built a great online presence, what, what sets them apart? What, what? How do they find the most success with what they do remote training wise? What sets them apart? Yeah, they, they build really good communities, yep. really good communities. And they, of course, they write good programs and 
they're savvy with building websites and their social media and their their uh, online uh, customer acquisition funnels are, are very efficient. Um, but that's not what sets them apart. It's their communities. Yeah. So let's use some some concrete examples. Brute Strength has an awesome community. They refer to it as tribe, the brute tribe. And once you're in the tribe, they want you in. They want you in the Facebook group posting video of your lifts. You're going to get a brute coach giving you feedback. They give you patches to slap on your backpack. Uh, they make videos and podcasts for you. I mean, they're, they're sold out to the brand. Uh, Jared Moon, garage gym athlete. Um, um, uh, he runs these Saturday workouts. What do they call them? Uh, I, think that, I think they're called uh, hard to kill Saturdays, where you just do something absolutely brutal and savage every Saturday outside for an hour. Yeah. And people love it. They, they post pictures of themselves after this workout. And he's really cultivated the Garage Gym Athlete community. And in fact, Kobe, um, Jared Moon, who runs Garage Gym Athlete, he has a podcast. Oh. Who does he interview on his podcast? Not me, not other coaches. What he, he interviews his community members, people who subscribe to Garage Gym Athlete. His podcast is only Garage Gym Athlete athletes talking about their experience with wow. Garage Gym Athlete. I mean, he is committed to the community and nothing else. He's got the blinders on. So that's cool. Yeah. It, you know, if you can create a cult, exactly. <laughs> you know, don't don't move to South America and drink Kool-Aid. But if you can create a cult, mm-hmm. you know, then you've got yourself you've got yourself some, you know, a business probably. Yeah. And we look at we look at everything that has been successful, no matter your perspective or opinion on CrossFit. That's what they did, you know. And oh my gosh, that's exactly right. The best community, you know. They, I, I have my, Rabbit. I have my opinion when it comes to sports performance, and I think those things need to be separate. CrossFit or yeah. fitness and sports performance need yeah. to be separate. But guess what? The forty-year-old grandma, or the <laughs> the sixty-year-old grandma, the people that have never been around a barbell, dude, those are people that have in 20, 30 years ago, you had to go to these grungy basement Louis Simmons West Side barbells to actually find some true strength yeah. training. And now you just go to your local CrossFit or your local strength and conditioning gym that um that has brought that to the people. And I think that is hands down the most badass thing that they've done. And they build yeah. this community because it's just like veganism. It's just like being carnivore. It's just like being a CrossFitter. You you wear this. It's just like being a guy who goes to the power athlete symposium wearing yes. bands. Yes, exactly. They have done that. And funny thing that you say that, I just sent in a whole application for myself to uh, possibly be a one of the first band-sponsored strength athletes. So I let's go, man. I told him, I was like, man, I'm not going to do a flip on a damn BMX bike. I'm not, I can't do a damn kick flip, but I can squat over 500 and I wear Vans every single day. I move, move some iron. Let's exactly. Go. So, but that's exactly what they do. They, everybody, I saw people in the airport flying to Austin wearing Vans. And I was like, oh, he's got a big bicep vein. He's probably going to the power athlete symposium. You know, <laughs> that's just how it goes. And uh, I, I like that, man. I think. So you think that number one thing to, for, to be a force to be reckoned with is just build that community. Yeah. 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 Got to be a little bit weird. You got to be yourself and mm-hmm. see where it goes. Yeah. Well, and I, being on both sides, I, I got to have a coach's account for a long time and then just following other programming because after you've been in the strength and conditioning world for X amount of years, you get sick of just programming for yourself. 
and it, it's it's fatiguing because you're doing it all day. And so uh, I jumped on Field Strong through Power Athlete, and that's what they've done. They've posted YouTube videos. They make Spotify playlists. They have the block one, and the people that can do that seem to have success. And um, so yeah. that I that was I guess we answered that question. I was asking how can we uh, you still there, Hugh? We lost you. Anyways, how can you be a force to be reckoned with? And I think that's, uh, that's, that's the way to do it is just to build that community. And uh, let's see if we can get Hugh back on here real quick. Um, uh, copy the invite. I'm going to send it to him real quick, ladies and gents. But uh, I think Hugh said it perfectly right. The only way to be successful online or to be successful in anything you do is build a community. And that was a very selfish question because I want to somehow get to that, you know, somehow get to the point where we have this community, we have this locked and loaded community, we have whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think we got Hugh right here. Yo brother. Hey, I got booted. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It just, uh, I was talking to myself and then I saw my ugly mug. I saw my ugly mug come up on the screen. So um, I'm sorry, man. No, you're golden. Let's keep, let's, we'll keep it. Keep yeah, it keep exactly. It keep it rolling. Uh, so that was my questions about it is just how to be that effective coach, how to be that uh, great online presence. And that was obviously a, uh, a selfish question. It's, it's for to try to build that tribe. And that kind of yeah. gets us, that kind of gets us into closing my brand. Um, if you, if you had to, if you had to look 20 years back, 10 years back, um, what would be the one thing that you would tell your 16 to 20 year old self? Oh, that's a good question. You know, thinking back at being a teenager, um, I probably would have, I, I would tell myself to definitely expose myself to more and different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I met my partner, James who had a big impact on me in, in building this business. And then since then, I've, I've met a lot of different people from different walks of life who just give me a lot of perspective about life in general. I think that kind of perspective learned at an earlier age can just help you relate to more people. Um, you've probably heard something along the lines of like, you know, before you get impatient with someone or, or get short with someone over, you know, bad service at a table or, or, or whatever, uh, just put yourself in their shoes. You don't know if their you know, parent died earlier that day or something really bad happened to them uh, with a diagnosis from the doctor that week, you know, like that's all kind of perspective and that's part of maturity. So I guess you just have to learn it eventually, but that also helps when you remove yourself from your bubble, right? And my bubble as a teenager was football, yeah. <laughs> you know, being my high school friends, having a good time, nothing wrong with that. Um, but man, there's a lot to be learned by just, um, you know, being open to um, uh, being part of uh, different groups of people, mercenarios, things like that. For sure. Just, that would have helped me mature probably a lot more faster because I had to catch up once I graduated college. I had to catch up a little bit, to be I, honest. I was there too. I football, when I was playing college football, I always knew I was never going to go professional, but my whole life was just going to meetings, going to practice, lifting weights, and I needed to find a purpose. And so that I kind of had to mature a lot faster than, than most had to there too. 
if I had to, if I had to ask that same question to myself, mine would be to slow down a little bit. Um, because it was always about that next Saturday or that next play or that next hit, you know? And so you're trying to slow down and enjoy that moment for what it is, because that's what ended up getting you to where you need to be. And obviously I did an okay job at it because I was able to foster these, these relationships with people and build what has been built today. But slowing down and enjoying that true moment is, is huge. And my wife and I went to, um, we went all over Europe for a honeymoon. So we went, uh, we flew into, um, Munich in Germany, and then we went down through Switzerland and then we came all the way down through the Italian coast down into Italy, into Sorrento, Naples, and Rome. And I learned a lot there. It was, Obviously, we were on a different time frame than your local person there. We were there for enjoyment and yeah. vacation, but just the aspect of slowing down there is much more than it is here in the states that we've that we've been flooded with this perspective of go go go. And obviously, there's there's both ends of the spectrum. You can't just not sit on your nuts and not do anything, but. Finding, finding that and being exposed to different people was cool, man. Those are some really cool people you find, you find there. Um, but that, that would definitely be my answer. And, uh, last and most important question I got for you on this whole damn podcast is, uh, if, if you was a kitchen utensil, what would you be and why? I want a pretty good explanation here, buddy. Oh, oh my gosh. What a question. (laughs) <laughs> All right. I, but you know what? I can do this. I own a lot of kitchen utensils. Yes, you do. I own a lot of them. Um, do you know like the clamps that you like grill out with? You know, you flip the steak. Yep. Are they called clamps? All right. I, I've got the kind with the rubber tips. Ooh. And I love the rubber tips because they work just the same. But you know what? You don't have to put metal on glass or metal on metal. Yep. It's just nice to have those sort of tips. So how about effective? But, you know, with a little bit of refinement on the end. How yes, about that? yes. It's, uh, it's definitely come a long ways from where it was. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. When I got asked this question first, I was in Austin, Texas at the Power Athlete Ranch for my block one. And the first thing I said was I would be a meat tenderizer because I'm usually all gas. I'm usually all gas, no brakes and uh, just get the job done. And it's, it's really, really good at one thing. Um, but you can't use it for much else, you know? And so then I was looking, I was like, well, shit. Well, 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 just, Hey, Hey, well, just wait until someone rob is robbing your house and you're in the kitchen and the only tool at your disposal for self-defense meat tenderizer, tenderizer. dude, I'll get the job done. Find another. (laughs) (laughs) And then I looked at it. I was like, I'm going to pick a fork. You can do almost everything you can cut. You can scoop the weak point of a fork would be cereal or soup. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big soup fan, you know? So I, I went with the fork. Whoa, no soup. No, dude. I'm wow. in, I'm in soup country, you know, like dude, up, soup is the best. up here in diet Canada in North Dakota, man. We're, we, 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 we all about <laughs> soup. Yes, sir, man. Well, Hugh, uh, a lot of people have already, I've already said it. Um, I've, I put little videos out about team builder and what I do with it. And, but if people wanted to get a hold of you, where, where would we push them for? Well, everyone should go to the Team Builder website and check it out. Check out our team page. Um, we're a pretty good follow on Twitter. 
Uh, sometimes we mix it up on Twitter, you know, not the, not the corporate stuff. I mean, we get involved in the conversations that can be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you want to reach out to me directly, man, just Google my name and you'll see my LinkedIn. None of my profiles are private. All right. So it's all out there for everyone to see Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn, whatever your poison is, pick your poison and reach out to me. Yep. And then, um, I tell you what, if, if you end up uh, subscribing to Team at any point, you'll probably get my cell phone number and then you keep my text buddy. Yeah, there we go. And that's, and that's pretty cool, man. You guys have grown to what, what are you guys at? The last question, what are you guys at for employees wise? How, how many people you guys got? If you include James and myself, we are at 10 employees. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, 10 employees and over two, we say two, over 2000, uh, paying customers that could be an NFL team that could be an online trainer in uh in france i mean just cool you know across the board cool yeah. man so yeah um that, it's pretty cool that you can you can get a hold of the one of the owners and founders of the company and you don't get that in a many other and people look at it and they're like oh it's only 10 employees like try managing one employee before you say that you know it's, <laughs> it's a hard deal man and i i uh i look up to you for that and i'm glad you guys have found success and I'm glad Team Builder's been a part of what we have done for a long time. So I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and I'm grateful to, to know you and have you as a friend and a customer. Yes, sir. Well, everybody, that wraps up NLX2 podcast this week. Um, reach out, look at Team Builder. They're getting a little funky on Twitter, so uh, check them out there, and we will get at you guys next week.